Welcome back to the Courage to Podcast. We are here for episode 20. We can use two, four hands now. We have made it to our 20th episode. It's a big deal. I feel like it's a big deal at least. And we are here with Manahil. And Manahil is a good friend of mine. Uh, we met a couple years ago, super randomly through church. Someone um, noticed that she was new. They were like, oh, Maddie, we'll talk with her. And basically we got set up on a little friendship coffee date and the rest is history. And I just remember sitting with her across at Starbucks and her sharing her story with me and just being so blown away on her faith journey. And I don't want to give it away too much. Like I really just want her to tell her story. Um, but there's obviously a reason why I wanted her on here, but it had me thinking about the significance of our stories and our testimonies. Part of the reason I think testimonies are so important is because we can learn about like facts and situations and like study them in almost like a, like a clinical or a knowledge-based kind of setting. But when you hear somebody's story and you're able to connect, um, Shamiram actually talked about this, being able to connect the head and the heart. So when your head knowledge connects with your empathy or your own lived experience or something, and then instead of seeing situations or facts or numbers as something that is maybe more like clinical or mathematical or statistical it's very easy to kind of separate yourself from that if you think about it in that sense but if you connect the head to the heart connect the numbers to the story um uh, your dad maddie calls it theology with a face a little bit of a different concept but it's this idea that when you hear somebody's story or their testimony it changes you and it changes the way you think about their experience yeah, that's so true. Also, nice shout out for from a previous episode. Two previous in. episodes. Sort of. Because your dad good. was on the podcast. Yeah. I think we did talk about theology with face. Good tie-in. Wow. Props <laughs> to you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So without further ado, we are going to jump into this conversation with Manahil and hear her own personal journey of coming to uh, knowing who God is and following Jesus. Well, Manaho, welcome to the Courage 2 podcast. It's so exciting to have you here. And just to tell a bit about your story, and it's going to be super good. So for everyone listening who don't know you, can you just give us a rundown? Who is Manaho? So my name is Manaho, and uh, I am 24. Uh, I am in school for PSW, and I have been a Christian for about two and a half years now. Uh, coming from a Muslim background, and uh, yeah, I guess that's a, just a bit <laughs> pretty basic stuff. <laughs> yep, we're gonna get into that story. Yeah. Uh, give us some um, hobbies. Uh, so binge watching Netflix. What are your top shows or um, movies? Top shows right now would be Seinfeld. Rewatching Seinfeld. Okay. It's, uh, pretty nostalgic because I grew up watching it with. Uh, uh, my siblings, so it's nice to throw back. Hmm. And then uh, second would probably be Grey's Anatomy. Can't get enough. I have watched neither of those, but everyone has said, especially for Grey's Anatomy, it's like, you got to watch Grey's. And you I'm have like, to, yeah. But I don't do it because everyone is addicted and I am like a anti-follow-the-crowd type of thing. So like, mm. because everyone's doing it, then I won't do it. <laughs> So if everyone stops doing it, then I will watch Grey's, but that's the only reason. 
Um, okay, so I brought you on for a lot of reasons because I think you're cool, but also you have a really unique journey and story to tell. And because the podcast is all about courage and how people exemplify courage, you took a massive leap of faith and you had to muster up like every ounce of courage inside of you to make this decision. Um, and this is your faith journey. So two years ago, you became a Christian, but it sounds very simple when I say that. Yeah, I became a Christian, but it was not. So give us that story as much or as little as you want in terms of your faith journey, how you got there, your background, all that stuff. Um, okay, so growing up, like my parents had us uh, pretty sheltered. Um, so m when we moved to Canada, it was a bit of a culture shock where all of a sudden... From where? Canada from so, where? So um, I was born in Pakistan, and then from there we moved to the Middle East, and then we moved to Singapore, and then in 2011 we moved to Waterloo, Ontario. Out of all the places in the world, <laughs> <laughs> we settled down in Waterloo. And um, so, you know, coming to Canada, going to high school... Um, was the first time we went to a public school and uh, found that that was a very lenient school system compared to the private schools that we had grown up going to and um, I took advantage of that freedom a little bit and uh, was uh, wasn't really the best student in high school and but I got through it and um, coming away to college was my first real experience of being free and kind of taking charge of my own life and not having my parents watch my every move. So I, uh, as one does, fell into the wrong crowd. Um, you know, started drinking, partying, trying to gain that uh, college experience that I'd watched on TV. It's like, oh, everyone does this. I wanna kinda experience it. And uh, fell into that pretty hard. And so, you know, um, summertime comes and everyone moves back home. But for me, going back home would be back to conforming to my parents' rules and living under their roof. And I wasn't a big fan of wanting to do that. So I got a job at a manufacturing plant. Um, so this would be uh, summer of 2017. And uh, my lead hand at the manufacturing plant was a Christian. And uh, we worked midnight, so overnight shifts you there's a lot of heart-to-hearts that happen in the overnight shifts and so he kind of started talking to me about his faith and I was like nope I'm not going from one religion to another like this is not happening and he was kind of very persistent in kind of asking me to come to church and very much like like every Saturday for six months he would text me being like oh you should come to church tomorrow I'd be like no thanks, uh, not for me. Um, but eventually in April of 2018, I gave in and I was like, all right, I will come to church with you. Did you give in just because of the pressure or because you were actually curious? Like 99% because of the pressure. Okay. Because <laughs> every Saturday would just be like, oh, you should come. So it was like, more just to like get him to stop asking? Yeah, pretty much. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, if I come with you, will you leave me alone? Yeah. And he's like, yeah, just come once. And I was like, all right, I will come once. Um, so Easter Sunday, 2018. Of all Sundays to I go. Know. <laughs> it was like the happiest message ever. So I was like, oh, I guess this isn't that bad. Um, and that first Sunday, I sat down next to 
the cutest boy I've ever seen in my life. And I was like, I have to know this guy. So I, uh, that's what I thought at the time. Um, anyway, so as um, weeks went on, kind of started going to church more regularly with the sole motivation to see this guy again. And um, God really does work in mysterious ways, I'll say that. Um, but anyway, he was really interesting. I found him really interesting, and I, but I knew that he was the type that wouldn't date someone unless they were a Christian. So in my mind, it wasn't, oh, maybe I should take getting saved more seriously. In my head, it was, oh, if I pretend to be a Christian, maybe he'll like me. So for the eight months that we dated, I spent the majority of it pretending to be a Christian so that he would like me more, I guess. Um, what, is, course, what does that mean? Like, how did you <laughs> pretend to be a Christian? Well, it's doing everything that you would do as a Christian, mm -hmm. but not actually believing in your heart that Jesus Christ is So Lord. more like go to church on Sunday. Yeah. But the thing with like pretending to be a Christian is it's really hard to not actually become interested in what you're learning about. So, you know, as to, I guess, play the part, you have to memorize scripture. And as you're memorizing scripture, it's kind of like working in your heart. And then you start feeling convicted of the lies that you're telling because you're memorizing passages about sin and how much God loves you regardless of that. And that he loves you enough that he sent his son to die. And just constantly hearing that message over and over again, it's like, okay, I can't really like how much of this is still pretend and how much of it is actually changing my heart. Um, anyway, as our relationship went on, you know, the fights increased because I wasn't really a Christian and he was kind of starting to figure that out. So when we split up, I was like, oh, I'm done with this. Like this wasn't worth it. And I decided to move back home to live with my parents. And I'm like, okay, I can do this religion thing. So if I can pretend, pretend to be a Christian for this guy, I can pretend to be a Muslim for my parents and for the sake of feeling like I have a family again. So for four months in 2019, so from January to April, I uh, lived uh, back home in Waterloo with my parents and did the, did the things, ticked stuff off the checklist that, you know, was required of me. But there's just something in my heart that felt wrong. And when I would come to London on weekends to visit, I would still go to church on Sundays. And it almost felt like I was living this double life and it was just exhausting and it was terrible and I hated every part of it. Eventually my mentors from church, from my old church, kind of sat me down and they were like, we know, like you don't have to pretend anymore. Like we know you're not saved, just kind of like, it's okay. So I was like, okay. So I kind of just like took this huge breath and I was like, all right. Um, so then they kind of started the process with me of back to the basics of who Christ is and what he did for us and how important that is to believe truly and accept that and to accept Christ as your savior. Because without that, all the scripture you memorize, all the Sundays you went to church, they don't matter. And uh, that was kind of when I started feeling really convicted, where I'm like, okay, I have to make this decision. But with that decision came 
the price of knowing that my family would not be okay with it and knowing that there was a very big chance that I would lose them. And so for weeks, we just went back and forth of them being like, where are you at? Where's your heart at? Like, and I'm like, it's broken. I, I don't know how to make this decision. I don't know how to do this alone. And then it was May, so it was Mother's Day 2019. It was a Sunday and I had come to London to visit and I was sitting at church and uh, I was listening to um, an elder from my old church speak on Hebrews and it was a passage about how God will never leave us or forsake us. And just kind of thinking about that and thinking about how God's love for us is unconditional, whereas my parents' love almost felt conditional during that time. And I was like, well, one love is forever, and one love will eventually fade away. As sad as that thought is, it will. And so if it just felt really heavy on my heart that day that I needed to kind of talk to my parents, and I was like, okay, I'm not going to do it on Mother's Day. So I drove back to Waterloo. We went to Mississauga for supper, and in 2019, during the month of May, it was Ramadan, so my parents were fasting, so we had a very late supper for when they broke their fast. And on the way back from Mississauga, they wanted to stop at the mosque to do their night prayers. And I was like, no, I'd really like to just get dropped off at home since we're going to be passing right by it. I don't want to go and, like, I don't want to pretend anymore. And that's kind of when we got into this big fight in the car on the drive home of just being like, what do you do? Like, Manaha, what are you doing? This is not right. We, you were born a Muslim. That is what's right. That is what you believe. And I'm like, I'm not sure I believe that. And that set them off. And that was just kind of the start of the conversations. And they didn't speak to me for the rest of the car ride home. So when we woke up Monday morning, they, you know, pretended like that conversation didn't happen. And I was like, okay, I'm going to rebring it up. So brought it up again. And I was like, hey, I'm I want to become a Christian. I feel this love from God and just this desire to know him more. And that resulted in them telling me to pack my stuff and get out of their house. And so uh, they gave me a roll of black garbage bags to put all my clothes in and as much stuff as I could fit into my <clears throat> fit into my car. And uh, I, yeah, I left and I came to London. By the time I got to London, I had $4 in my bank account because we had a shared bank account that my parents had access to. And they took the money, most of my money from that bank account. They left me with $4. And I didn't have a place to stay. I stayed at a friend that night, but I didn't have a place where I could stay longer than maybe a couple nights. I had no money. I had a car payment coming up insurance payment coming up, and I felt completely alone. So that night, just kind of lying in bed, I was like, all right, God, like this, it's just you and me now. Like, you're all I have, so. And uh, yeah, I got, I got saved that night, and it's been quite a ride since then. 
Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> okay, before we go into the since then, what has happened? Um, so at one point you were you were like you were pretending to be Christian, and then you went back and you were pretending to be Muslim, and in this pretending. And so, what like why did you choose to pursue Christianity more than like choosing Muslim, a Muslim religion with your family? Because you were pretending in both. So why did you pursue Christianity over the other one? There's something about Christians that is just so, they have something that, and I feel like people who were raised Christian don't always notice it. And I know I've had this conversation with multiple people and I'm just like, well, like you can see it in the way that they handle trials. And I saw it most with this guy and his family. So his mom was fighting cancer and they were so like hopeful through it all. Mm. They had so much faith that at the end of the day, God is still good. And that is not how we were raised. Like we were raised that we had to earn heaven. Like we are... um, parents taught us that you know at the end of your life on the day of judgment all your deeds good and bad will be placed on a scale and if your good deeds outweigh the bad deeds you're going to heaven if they don't you're going to hell and there are those that god can choose to have mercy on and send them to heaven anyway there are some that god will be like no i don't think you deserve to go to heaven And just like stuff like that, which I'm not even sure is actually Islamic or if that's just stuff that my parents taught us. Like, so, but then seeing the way Christians just have this hope and I can't even like explain in words what it felt to be in a room full of people just praising God, loving God and being so proud of who they are in Christ. And I was like, wow. And then people who knew exactly what their place was before God, that we needed God to send his son to die, to pay for our sins. There's no way that we could pay. No amount of good deeds or anything could pay for our sins. And that thinking in being a Muslim, thinking that we can earn our way to heaven is just that stark difference where it's like, who are we before God? that we could earn our salvation. And that's what got to me where it's like, that's how big God is. And for us to realize, yes, we are nothing like in front of him without Christ. So um, yeah, it was just this feeling in the room where it just feels like God is there. Hmm. And it was such a weird feeling because I had never felt anything like it before. And I'd never seen people interact with each other the way Hmm. I saw Christians interacting with each other. And it was like the our CNC, our college and careers group, where I saw it the most too, where it was just a room full of people that have nothing in common, who typically probably wouldn't hang out together, but come together for because they all love Christ. Hmm. And to me that was just like mind blowing where it's different walks of life, different interests, different hobbies, different careers. On a daily life, they probably wouldn't even 
run into each other. But yeah, hmm. that was probably the biggest thing was just that feeling in the room of that yeah. I didn't feel at a mosque. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. So when you went to college, you said you were rebelling against like the rules in your house because you wanted to experience freedom. For someone who might be listening, who maybe sees Christianity as, you know, a bunch of rules and we're put in this box and do this and don't do that and very legalistic. What would you say you've experienced in terms of freedom when it comes to following Jesus? I think the biggest one would be that shame that comes with the mistakes you've made for someone mm -hmm. who lied her way through, I guess, the first year of her being a Christian, air quotes, um, that, you know, with that one lie came a lot of other lies. And just knowing that who you are in Christ, you don't have to carry that with you. Even if you're saved and you make a mistake, you don't have to carry that with you. I have made so many mistakes after being saved. Like, oh, we all do. Yeah, we all make mistakes. Yeah. <laughs> if and, we say we don't, we're lying. Yeah. <laughs> but just knowing that I can come before God and just be like, I am sorry. And knowing that he still loves me and knowing that I don't have to carry that or that's the most freeing because we make so many mistakes on a daily basis, whether they're small, big, against others, against God, against ourselves. But the most freeing feeling is to know that everything will be okay because God is good. Amen to that. Yeah. <laughs> as cheesy as that sounds. <laughs> it's true though. It's true. I really wish we could take some of those common Christian cliches and actually like the simple ones like that and just realize how powerful it is. <laughs> um, okay, so this was now two and a half, two years ago. Yeah, so May of 2019, so two and a half years ago. Yeah. Okay, give us the recap of since then. Because it's not, it, there's the day of, you know, you decided. That was very obvious for you. But then it's a whole journey. It was making that decision of choosing God every single day. Every time my parents called, every time they begged and pleaded for me to come back home and be a Muslim again, every time I had to tell them no, I had to make that decision to choose God. And the fact that like it broke my heart to do so because no one wants to hear their parent crying on the other end of the line. And in their hearts, they truly believe that I'm going to hell. And so for them, that's painful. But in my heart, I also believe that they're going to hell. And then that breaks my heart. So now we're at just at this impasse where one of us is right and one of us is wrong. And the love that we have for each other is keeping us from like giving in. So... I love my parents too much to just give in and be like, okay, yes, I will be a Muslim again because I want them to know Christ and I want them to be saved. Whereas mm -hmm. their love for me, they believe that I'm going to hell if I, because I'm a Christian. So they will not accept me for who I am unless I go back to being a Muslim. So it, we're kind of stuck in this back and forth of I'm right, no, I'm right, and just mm -hmm. back and forth of 
you know, not wanting to see the people that we love end up in hell. And it's a really scary thought, you know, just as we all get older and with COVID especially, you people who were healthy lost their lives. And my parents are pretty healthy. So to think like anything could happen to them and I could never see them again is mm-hmm. has this like sense of urgency that I need to, you know. Um, but since then, there has been a lot of fights a lot of yelling, a lot of praying on my part and I'm sure on theirs and just a lot of tears Mm. between me and my parents. Um, But in terms of my Christian walk, there has just been this like, like God's hand guiding me through so that those first two weeks, I think I felt God the most in my life because within two weeks, he let like, I found a place to stay where they would let me live rent-free until I got a stable job. Wow. I found a job in two weeks. Like, I like I had talked to so many people about, like, who were also looking for jobs, and they are like, yeah, we've been looking for months. We haven't been able to find anything. And the fact that God provided a job for me, um, people, pro- like, um, people in the church helped me out so much of just, like, donate, like, giving me groceries, helping me out with my payments. And just in those little ways, I felt God kind of working. And I'm like, okay, I can I can have this peace. And I think that's what really like assured me that I was going to be okay was through the craziness and the stressfulness, I had this peace knowing that at the end of the day, everything will be okay because God is good. And in my head, I was like, that sounds so bad. That sounds so cheesy. People are going to be like, why? Like, are you writing a Hallmark card? Like, <laughs> but I can, like, I have witnessed it in my life. And I can say that at the end of the day, everything will be okay. And mm. so far, that's been, it's been okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like you, you made a comment, like, your first two weeks, it was just very intentional choosing God every single day. And that is like a big deal, making that choice, knowing that it is hard and it is weird and difficult and it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. And that also doesn't mean that God is bad either. Like God is good. Um, but I love that like in this walk with God, as we choose him, he honors that and reveals himself to us in so many different ways. And clearly like he made these provided in a bajillion ways for you, but then also gave you this peace, which is just so cool. So, um, but okay. Another thing with you is you've always, every time we've had a conversation, you're always in this like community of people. You just, (laughs) you just inserted yourself in the church. You're like, well, here we are. (laughs) What role, and you've touched on this a little bit, but what role has Christian community played in like the long run? Like you had the the couple, your mentors at the beginning, really helping you into that big moment of making a decision. In the long run, though, how has that community been important for your own faith walk? So not having a stable family or, you know, you know, your parents and your family are the people that always have your back. They are supposed to at least love you no matter what and have your back and a place like home is a place where you can go and hide in the basement on bad days and 
not having that was slowly killing me. But I was like, no, there is a family here in the church and in Christ, we are all one family. And so for me, that was like my biggest thing was just kind of, you know, just inserting myself because I needed to feel like I belonged somewhere. And so for the first two years of being a Christian, I did that at Southdale. Um, and I really, you know, inserted myself in the young adults there with the families there, having dinners with different like older couples looking for just mentors everywhere, looking for family, kind of wherever I could find it. Um, but it turns out, you know, sometimes you just gotta, you, you outgrow things and uh, just with different situations coming up, I felt like I was no longer growing at that church. And so now I go to redemption. And again, like I have found that sense of family almost more deeply than I ever did at Southdale. And I have amazing friends who love me and have my back and whose basements I can go hide in in a bad day, <laughs> who make sure I've eaten and, you know, just the little things that family would do. And I feel this sense of peace in the decision that I made to switch churches just because I needed to feel like I belonged. And as much as I wanted to feel like I belonged at Southdale, ever since like that relationship ended, I never really felt like I fit in. And so... And I think that's an important caveat right there is like <laughs> you left that church because there were, it was very complicated. Yeah. And it wasn't like, oh, I'm just kind of giving up, moving on. But yeah. It, it was a good, healthy decision for yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was, I toughed it out for... Uh, yeah, you did. <laughs> <laughs> for probably a year and a half of just being like, okay, we'll just... I don't want to give up on them yet because they were there for me when I needed them and I want to give them a chance to, but you know, things kept coming up and I just again and again kept feeling like maybe these aren't my people, maybe they don't really have my back, maybe it's just not the way it used to be. Um, and so as time went on, you know, I just grew, you know, farther apart from them and as situations got more complicated, I think the healthier thing for everyone involved in those situations was just for me to remove myself. And uh, yeah, and mm -hmm. honestly, I've been happier since. I'm sure everyone involved has been happier since. <laughs> um, but yeah. Hmm. Yeah, and I think I mentioned this to you before, like when you switched out, I, I think I've asked you this, is uh, why you didn't give up on the quote unquote capital C church because you went through some really weird things <laughs> at the church. And this is like at your beginning stages of your walk with God. And it's sometimes hard to like, um, what's the word? Sometimes we really link like who God is with the church and how the church behaves is really how God behaves. And it's not like the church is full of flawed humans. Um, but a lot of people leave the church because of how they were treated. But your relationship with God always remained stronger and therefore you could still stay within the church and wanted to be in church community knowing that God was bigger. It just meant that another community was healthier for you <laughs> and that's okay. So you never abandoned the church, which I think is uh, super key, especially so early on because a lot of people do. Um, okay. Another really interesting thing with you is I remember we had a conversation where you were like, yeah, I didn't understand this one topic, so I just like found a book <laughs> and I just like researched it. 
<laughs> and I was like, who does that? Um, but like, I know other, like I've walked with other people who have, you know, just started following God and it's like, okay, big moment, big emotional moment following God. And then they can't quite get plugged into a church or they just kind of expect, you know, they don't have to do any of the hard work to actually learn who God is. And, and part of that is they need to be taught, but you just dug right in. Uh, why? Is that, is that normal for you to just be like, oh, I don't have an answer. And so I'm just going to research it. Or was there something about faith that you just needed to seek it out? Um, I think for me is I, might <laughs> be a pride thing, but I hate being the dumbest person in the room. And I hate being the, <laughs> it worked to your benefit this time. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Um, uh, and I hate being the person in the room that doesn't know anything. <laughs> And I felt really lost a lot of the times in our Bible studies because they were being led by people who've been Christians their whole lives who would talk about the Maccabees and the somethings and the some and the who's and the ha's. And I'm like, I don't know who any of those people are. And... I don't know who the who's and the ha's are either. <laughs> um, but yeah, and I was just like, and everyone always had something to say. And I hated that I never had anything to contribute to the study. And so... I would always start prepping for our Bible studies beforehand so that um, when a certain topic came up, even if it was just one thought that I somehow put together in all my studying, I just wanted to have one thought that I could contribute. Um, And I almost felt like in that group, if you weren't showing fruits or if you weren't showing that you were learning stuff, people would kind of be like, is she learning anything? Or is she progressing in her faith? And so I think that also kind of played a part in needing to have an answer, know, be updated on the topic, know exactly what we're gonna be talking about at the next Bible study, so that as as we're going through the study, if I contribute some, an intelligent thought, then they'll be like, oh, she's taking her time to study the Bible. And now I see how flawed that thinking is, and, but that almost created this desire in me to learn. Mm. So I was going to say, it almost feels like it's going back to the pretending. Yeah, it we was. almost had to like, <laughs> take it until you make it kind of thing. Yeah, and after, I didn't really know this until recently. I was having a conversation with one of my friends, and he was talking about the study that he was doing about um, how to kind of discipline yourself into the Christian life. And... He brought these four D's. I don't remember all of them, but the first one was discipline, and then the last one was desire. So in order to really desire something, you have to discipline yourself to do it every day. Like people who start going to the gym, they don't like going to the gym when it first starts, but but as you keep going and you see that progress, the more you desire to do it. And that's kind of how I felt in studying scripture and studying topics, even outside of scripture, like church history and um, even like learning Greek and Hebrew, like certain words, not all of it, but just watching like videos of original translations and where the Bible comes from and how it was made and um, all that stuff, even though to start it was just so that I would have something to say, has now turned into this desire of Mm. wanting to know more and um, yeah, just always studying and being like, oh, I don't get this. I will spend the next three hours <laughs> studying this one word until Figuring I know exactly where it comes from. And that's 
honestly helped my walk and just kind of helped me understand God mm. better. I remember reading a, an Instagram post from, I forget which, some well-known pastor. Anyway, they had made this comment about how sometimes you just have to fake it till you make it. Because I think someone had asked a question about like really struggling to want to read my Bible. And they were like, well, start, like just do it. Even if you don't feel like it, who cares? Do it and then the desire will grow and you'll actually start seeing fruit and realizing like how good it actually is. But it's not necessarily gonna come like moment number one. Um, what would be some of your top books that you read in that time? Ooh. That, um, so for someone who's like new to faith, you to faith. Okay, so I read this really good one called um, Mile One by Paul. Flying my bookshelf, Paul Carter, I think. I think that's his Carter. Um, but <laughs> uh, maybe we'll see. Yeah, it was really interesting because it broke everything down to like basics, and it almost felt like I already knew this stuff, but I also saw it from a different perspective, which I thought was interesting. So that one was, I definitely recommend that one. Another one that I read was more specific to um, a Muslim converting to Christianity. So I read mm. the one that's seeking, called Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus by Nabil Qureshi. I loved that book. Loved it. Could that be a book like anyone could read? Oh, like yeah. Someone like yeah. me who's been a Christian. Oh, I yeah. I probably learn yeah. a lot from that yeah. perspective, right? Yeah. So it just, te- it kind of just teaches you, or he does a really good job of putting into words that feeling inside that conflict between who you've been your whole life versus versus what you know is right Mm. and i could never put it into words and he does an amazing job because he knows the cost and i know the cost and i kind of felt that like i kind of i felt what he was going through and he put to words exactly so for anyone who's trying to understand how difficult it is for someone who wasn't raised Christian to make that decision to become a Christian, whether they're atheist, Muslim, Jew, any background, it's this like, you feel like your insides are ripping in half because it is going against everything you've ever been taught. And it's more than just the religion that changes or that you kind of have to walk away from. It's your culture, your heritage, your the food you grew up eating. like. I don't know how to cook that stuff and not really like talking to my parents. There's very like few restaurants in London that can kind of match homemade food. And so you kind of give up more than just like you kind of have to walk away from everything that made you who you were. And it does say in the Bible that everyone who's saved is a new creation, but that's like literally you're someone new. And that was the hardest thing for me was to kind of recreate myself in Christ. And the way he puts it into words is amazing. And I would highly recommend it to anyone who's Mm. trying to get an outside perspective of what it means to be a Christian or what it means to become a Christian. Um, Another one I really enjoyed was uh, Think, Act, Believe Like Jesus. And so it goes through the three steps of it, and it goes back to examples in the Bible of how Jesus thought in certain situations, how Jesus acted. 
in certain situations. They're very relatable to kind of what we go through day to day of feeling stress, anxiety, anger. It's very practical. Yeah, very yeah. practical. So more like less feely, more like here's what you need to do. This is who you need to be like. This is how he did it. Do it. Hmm. Hmm. Those are some good recommendations. I That second book, I feel like I need to read it. Oh, definitely. Especially when it comes to this whole piece on identity. Because, like, for me, I've grown up a Christian my whole life. But I've never had to really dissect those pieces that were that are so part of who I am, right? Like, never had to give up cultural food. Because food makes up who you are. Like, that's part of yeah. your being and it's part of your history. And, um, yeah, I think that's something really interesting to consider in terms of identity and what shapes you and what it feels like to give up everything that you've ever known and restart that'd be quite the process yeah still working on it <laughs> i was gonna say do you feel like you're uh you figuring it out a little bit now yeah like i had to teach myself how to cook a lot of things mm. like like solely based off of memory of watching my mom cook stuff wow and so there's been a lot of trial and error in that and a lot of ruined dishes but We'll get there. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so uh, if you were to encourage someone new to the faith right now, like just became a Christian, say less than a year, how would you encourage them? Honestly, my advice would be to just keep going. Just keep on. It will suck. There will be moments that you want to walk away. And I had my moments of just being like, especially after I was so hurt by my old church there I had that one moment it was like 10 seconds long but I had it <laughs> of just being like I could call my parents right now and tell them that I made a mistake and they would take me back and I would have that family again but of course that was all built up in my head obviously if I told my parents I was wrong and went back home it would not be this happy reunion it would be this painful process of reunification or mm -hmm. reconciliation and stuff but my advice would be just know that God is good and sometimes you don't always feel it but facts are more important than feelings and we know for a fact that God will come through and that he will not like he will finish what he started in you and if he worked in your heart and you were saved he is still working in you and until you die he will keep working on you <laughs> And so my advice would be just keep on, surround yourself with people who love you, people who have your back, who encourage you and lift you up and remind you of who you are in Christ. And that was my biggest thing was just on my low days, being reminded that I have someone who loves me, who is there for me, who I can talk to no matter like what time it is. Cause People don't always answer your phone calls if it's three o'clock in the morning, but you know, God is there. God's listening. And before you even talk to him, he already knows what's going on in your heart. And there's nothing that you're going through that he didn't go through or didn't feel. You're feeling rejected. You feel alone. You feel you're hurt. Like he's been there. So he can probably relate the most. And I think the fact that he went through all of that so that we would never have to feel that way is a beautiful thing. And mm. That would be my words of wisdom is just keep on and that's a word for everybody <laughs> i'm like even like yeah if you've been a christian your entire life like you never get to this 
part where you arrive and you're like, yeah, I'm always going to remember that, you know, God is good and that God is there. And it, you have to, it's a daily thing, daily thing of choosing to follow God, no matter how many years you've been a follower of Jesus. I had a friend literally remind me yesterday. She was like, just trust God. And I was like, oh, right. Yep. (laughs) Perfect. Thank you. (laughs) Like we all need it. We all need to be reminded and to keep choosing and to keep going even when it's hard. So word for everybody right there. (laughs) It's good. So you are one story, one testimony of how God has been working and it's a profound story. And I, I'm a big believer in the testimonies and sharing how God has worked in people's lives and through them. And cause that's evidence of how God is working. Like our lives are evidence of that. Why do you think sharing stories of faith like yours for an example are important and are there stories of people's journeys of faith that you've really resonated with and have held to as you've journeyed forward um i think it's important to share our faith and our stories is you never know who's listening and you never know when someone might be going through that exact same thing but just not kind of talking about it so you know you're sitting at the bus stop and the person next to you looks like they're kind of going through a hard time it doesn't hurt to open up to them or you know someone asks me about the tattoo my cross tattoo i will tell them my whole story don't you worry (laughs) they just got stuck in a 45 minute conversation with me and i think that's important because um maybe they just left the faith maybe they were hurt by the church Mm. and they hear that someone who was hurt by the church chose to keep keep on and keep pursuing God and maybe that'll encourage them and I think a big part of who we are as Christians is to show love and the best way that we can show someone love is to tell them about Jesus and to and I think the best way for us to do that is to be as personable as possible and if that means we have to open up and be vulnerable and tell everyone that yeah for a long time we lived a lie too Mm -hmm. and through that God worked through that So even in your lowest low, you feel like you've hit rock bottom. God is working through that. And if someone's out there listening who is struggling to make that decision because they're scared of what they might lose, maybe hearing my story or Nabil Qureshi's story, for example, or hundreds of other people who have found God, maybe that's what they needed to hear. That's the encouragement that they needed. Like if that person can do it, I can do it Mm -hmm. because... At the end of the day, the only person we can really rely on, or the only yeah, person we can rely on is Christ and yeah. God. And um, people will fail you. Mm-hmm. Churches will fail you. Um, but, you know. God remains the same. God remains the same. Yeah. Yeah, I love stories. It's like, uh, like the Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> there's a reason that sharing past stories of, how people held to faith and how God worked through them and in them, how that's an encouragement to us today. And all of our stories are just a continuation of Hebrews 11, it feels like. Yeah. And I think it's all of our stories are so much more intertwined than we think that, you know, you could tell your story to one person who goes and tells it to someone else who goes and tells it to someone else. And that third person is the person that needed to hear it. So maybe it's not even you directly that affects someone with your story. But, you know, all of our lives, 
And like the way we met, my one night service that I went to. It's very random. Yeah. And it's created this lifelong friendship that you've encouraged me and, um, you know, to keep pursuing the church and stuff like that. And it's like now our lives are intertwined and now my story has affected you and whoever hears this and Mm -hmm. it just kind of spreads like a wildfire. So good. So good. <laughs> I really should write Hallmark cards. <laughs> <laughs> it's your next job. Oh, yeah. Quit PSW. Yeah. Just go right, right for Hallmark. Oh, it, yeah. is, it is a job. Card writing is a job. Yeah. I would hate it. <laughs> okay. As we are nearing the end, two final questions for you. Today or in this season, what is a story or a person in the Bible that has been really captivating you? Um... Honestly, David, <laughs> mostly because I've been going through the Psalms and just um, just what he's going through in the different Psalms. So I've been watching like the uh, Bible Project videos. Love Bible Project. It's so good. So good. Like, I don't know who started that, but honestly, they should just. The, have you listened to their podcast? Yeah. So I think Tim Mackey, the guy who like leads the podcast, I think he started it. Oh, yeah? Oh, my gosh. And he's... the other guy, John, John somebody. I think they started it together, maybe. Oh, yeah? Okay. I could be giving false information, but <laughs> I think it was the two of them, or at least Tim. Yeah, so, like, I love those. So they um, go through each psalm, or sections of psalms, and I watch those as I'm reading through the psalms. And um, just kind of what... David went through and the fact that he made mistakes and he feels so alone and rejected and scared but he continues to praise God Mm. like my favorite psalm to this day is Psalm 34 and um, I think my like there's just this I'm gonna look it up but um, just my favorite line is that uh the poor man called and the Lord heard him and he saved him out of all his troubles. And just that like, that is like, I feel that like there are days where I feel poor and helpless and mm-hmm. alone. And I feel like I don't have anyone, but I call on God and I almost feel the sense of peace. Mm-hmm. Although some mm-hmm. days I'm like, where are you, God? <laughs> Come on. But he takes that too. <laughs> I have slowly been learning that God just takes all of <laughs> all of what we say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's gotten some pretty raw prayers from me this year, but it's all good. Uh, I'm reading for Samuel right now in my Bible reading plan and in the story of David. And uh, I just today read the story of when you had the opportunity to kill Saul and he chose to not kill him. He just like cut off the piece of uh, his garment and chose instead. They took the uh, integral road and was like, well, I have the opportunity to kill him, but I'm not going to because I trust God. I was like, wow. Yeah. I think I can learn from this. It's good. Yeah. Okay, last question for you. If you could define courage, how would you define it in any way? I don't care how <laughs> dictionary.com it is or creative, doesn't matter to me. Uh, how about cheesy? <laughs> yes. I'm ready. Um, I think for me, courage is to have faith in what you don't know. And I think a lot of our- Almost li- like that scripture or something. Yeah, <laughs> oh, it's, honestly it could be. It's, it's my next card that I'm writing. It's a, uh, oh, what verse, is it Ephesians? Faith is having assurance 
Oh no, Maddie. <laughs> you know, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, no. that one. Uh, Maybe that's where I've heard it from scripture. Yep. See, it's just soaked <laughs> in you. You don't even know it. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, but yeah, so just kind of having that faith that even if I walk away from my family, from the church, the only church that I thought would feel like home, from the only people that I thought would accept, like who I thought would accept me for who I was, but turned out not to be the case, to go to a, a completely new church knowing nobody and just kind of making myself feel home there. I didn't know how any of those things were going to turn out. and But I had faith that God was going to provide and that God is good. And there was a reason in the hurt. And there was a reason for the hurt. And the, I think courage is to just have faith in what you can't see and what you don't know. And to take that leap of faith, no matter how it ends. If it ends with you falling flat on your face with a hundred broken bones, or if it ends with you like soaring, the act of courage is to actually jump. Mm -hmm. And then after you break a hundred bones to get back up and do it again. <laughs> <laughs> and know that God is right there with you, even in that state of being broken. Yeah. And that he will ask you to jump again, even if you're not fully healed. And it takes a lot of courage to jump again, knowing mm -hmm. that you're already hurting and that you might get hurt again, but to trust that God is good and that he will come through always. Always. Preach it. <laughs> well, thanks for coming on the podcast. It was so much fun. And thanks for having me. your story <laughs> and yeah like all that you've learned the last couple years and what you've gone through and being honest about it so yeah thanks for being here it was so much fun thanks for having me and uh yeah i hope absolutely you can be our resident preacher and just come <laughs> back on and preach at us yeah and a hallmark card writer absolutely i expect that <laughs> next time <laughs> for my birthday this year i expect a hallmark card from you oh 100%. Hand, handwritten <laughs> hand picture on the front <laughs> Oh, I don't know about the picture. I expect Oof. it. <laughs> How are you about stick drawings? <laughs> I will I will still accept you. <laughs> mm -hmm. Promise. <laughs>so I fully believe that all testimonies are so powerful and so important to share the the ones that are seemingly so dramatic and the ones that are um, simple, quiet moments of God's miraculous work in our lives. There's something so amazing about hearing people's stories, and I absolutely love it. And Manahil's story is one that uh, I don't hear very often. And part of that is just the context that I'm in. But I, I have been so challenged by her story, mostly with the question of, what am I willing to give up for the sake of following Jesus? What am I willing to risk? What am I willing to give up for the sake of the God that I claim that I believe in? And I fully do. But am I willing to give up something like my family? Or am I willing to give up my comfort? Or am I willing to give up the feeling of belonging in a group of people? There's so many things that could be at risk. And I was thinking about the story of Abraham in Genesis 12 the Lord said to him, it said, the Lord said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family and go to the land that I will show you. 
I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. So God said to Abram, leave. Leave everything you've ever known. Leave the land that your family is part of. Leave your family. Leave your identity, basically, and go into something greater that I have in store for you. And so the vision of following God had to be so compelling that he would be willing to leave everything behind. Just same with Manahil's story. The vision of God's love and who God is has to be way more compelling to leave, to leave everything and to have your whole identity of who you are change. And you have to be willing to let that be changed. In Matthew 10, verse 37, it says, If you love your father or mother more than you love me, you are not worthy of being mine. Or if you love your son or daughter more than me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. Now, how easy is it to quote those words, let alone live it out? It's so hard to live out. But for me, it's stories like, yes, stories of like Abraham in the Bible, but also Manahil, a friend that I can sit and have coffee with, hearing her story of being so compelled by the love of God that she sacrificed everything. She was willing to give up her life in order to find a new one in Christ. It's powerful. And her story for me is very convicting. And I wonder if it is for you as well. So I leave the podcast today with this question. What would you risk for the sake of following Jesus? Jesus.